Well, the truth many of us overlook is that God is always calling all people. And there are three general ways in which God calls people. First of all, God is calling all people everywhere to turn from themselves and their ways to come to him and be saved by knowing him. And if you have a sermon outline and it will be posted to our website, I've given you both what we would call Old and New Testament references to all of this. Next, to those who have been reconciled to him by his goodness and his faith, he still calls them to shun their sins and wicked acts and all the things that tempt people, all people, even his own people. And finally, God calls some of his people to lead his people, even those who seem so unlikely to succeed. Now, one of my favorites is Gideon. Now, when he was called, he said he was the least of the smallest clan of the least of the tribes of Israel. Why are you calling me? And yet God used him. God used him to overcome the oppression of Midian that had lasted for eight years. Then next we come to Jeremiah, who as a young teenager, maybe 13, 14, 15 years old, God called him and he said, I am calling you to give strong words of warning, not only to my people, but to all the nations on the earth. And then we have Saul of Tarsus, who was killing followers of Jesus Christ, when all of a sudden he was called by Jesus himself to tell people of all the nations that they should turn from darkness to light. And that they would then be forgiven by faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. He was called to bring the gospel to all the nations. And then this morning, we heard the story of how God called Moses to go to Egypt and then to lead over one million Israelites out from bondage. Now, Here's a truth that's right between the lines of what we heard this morning. And that is every time God calls someone to a task, the task is overwhelming and impossible in our own strength. No one can do it in his or her own strength. And for this reason... It seems like in scripture, as far as I can tell, every person who God called doubted and questioned his call. And they were on the verge of giving up and walking away. In fact, we heard Moses object to his call four times. The last time basically telling God, son, someone else. It's not me. Okay. Now, I have had the same response at different times when God has called me. I've said, what? 
Not me. I can't do it. I've delayed and delayed and delayed, but God will not let us go, and that's the grace of this. So as we go through this part of the long story of the life of Moses, of how God called him in the first place, let us all ask God to show us the ways we need his help so that we can give him a wholehearted yes Yes, to what he is calling us to do, just as Moses eventually did. And don't forget also, the Bible tells us Gideon, Jeremiah, and the Apostle Paul also all said yes to God and were used by him to accomplish his purposes. Again, it's all about God, and let us never, never, never forget that. So we're going to look at this call in in two big parts. The first part, I could have just said, it's the call. So Egypt is oppressed in Egypt. God calls Moses to send him to Pharaoh and take his people out of Egypt. That summarizes the first half almost to the end of chapter 3 that we heard. And it starts out, and don't miss this, Israel is oppressed but they cry out to God who hears them. And as a result, he calls Moses from a burning bush as he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. So let's go through this line by line because there's a lot of heavy stuff in here and uh, we need to be aware of it. In time, the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed under bondage. Then their cry came up to God from their bondage. Now, if you look at, you know, a good Bible timeline and study Bible, it is now 350 years since Joseph died. And the Pharaoh who respected Joseph, promoted him, loved the Israelites, he was long gone. And over time, the kings of Egypt had subjected the Israelites to hard service. That's literally what it's called. It's bondage, it's slavery. And this hard service caused the Israelites to sigh and to cry to the God of heaven out of their distress. And then God tells us God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he saw the sons of Israel and literally he knew. God always knows. Nothing gets by God. So he heard with a spirit of compassion. And he also determined to do something for his people. And now this is key. God remembered his covenant. I prayed about that sevenfold covenant to Abraham. It's never been revoked, never will be revoked. And what God says he does, he remembered this covenant, particularly in this case, to give them the land of Canaan and also to multiply them. Well, they had multiplied in Egypt. They were over a million, but they were in bondage. Okay, and then God knows. Never forget this. God knew their situation and what he needed to do to deliver them out of Egypt into the land of which he first spoke to Abraham many years, maybe four or 500 years before this. Coming back to God's word, 
Moses was shepherding his father-in-law Jethro's flock, and he led them behind the wilderness and came to Chorev. And I just realized it was a hard uh, H, the mountain of God. So, you know, like many people in scripture and in the agricultural culture in which they lived, uh, he was a shepherd. Moses looked after sheep. Now, um, the word Charev means desert in English. Now, its other name was Mount Sinai. They're used interchangeably. It's two names, but they kind of have similar meanings, and it's not positive because Sinai means thorny. So a lot of times in a desert region, you have a lot of thorny cacti and whatnot. Then we're told the angel of Yahweh appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. Then Moses looked and behold, the bush burned in the fire, but was not consumed. And then Moses said, talking to himself, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not consumed. There's a lot going on here. Now, first of all, there's a fire in a bush. That's not unusual. In, in a dry wilderness region where there's not much water and things are dry, it takes nothing to set a bush on fire. He had seen burning bushes before. However, this bush was not being consumed by the fire. Think about that. This is why Moses called it a great sight in his eyes. Why? Because it goes against the creation order, the way God made things, and it goes against all common human, human common sense, that something could be burning a dry bush, and the bush is not being the least consumed. None of us has seen that, I guarantee you. So, Then we're told, um, Yahweh saw Moses turned aside to see. And then God called him from the midst of the bush saying, Moses, Moses. And he said, behold me, hineni. You may have heard that before. So God calls Moses by name twice. So it's a big deal from this non-consuming fire in the midst of the bush. Well, now we know God is in this and all things are possible. What was Moses' response? He said in English, behold me. Or in other words, he says, here I am, ready to listen to you. Now, the second part of this call is Moses is on holy ground. So he must remove his shoes. And then Yahweh says he has seen the affliction of his people and he will send Moses to bring them out of Egypt. So we're told, then he said, do not come near here. You must put off the shoes from your feet because the place upon which you are standing, it is holy ground. This place has been made holy, even though it's a desert wilderness, 
Because God is visibly present there in the fire. He's appearing in the fire. That's why the bush isn't burned up. And then he continues, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then Yahweh said, I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their oppressors. For I know, there's that word again, I know their sufferings. Now, fear. Moses had a healthy, reverential fear for Yahweh, the covenant God. And then Yahweh responds to Moses' fear by saying he's seen the affliction of his people under this current king of Egypt. Okay? And further, he knows their suffering. In fact, this is the word of knowledge for experiencing. You see, that's how compassionate God is. That's how he feels for his people. He's experienced their sufferings along with them. And he says, I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm not going to name the six nation states, but that's what it's all about. So now this is God. Remember, God initiates, God does. Whenever we're fearful, never forget that. He himself... um, now gives his word to deliver his people out of Egypt. Moreover, he says, he will bring them into a good land with good food. Good food. Even though the land is currently occupied by people who are not his people, God will bring his people into a good place. Not just the Israelites in the days of Moses, but his people in all the days until Jesus Christ returns and now in Jesus Christ. And then finally, he ends the first section of the call. Now behold, Moses, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Now you must come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, and you must bring my people out from Egypt. Well, the good news is the covenant God has seen and he has heard the condition of his people, and he's going to do something about that. And he's telling Moses that he is sending him Moses and he must bring God's people out. Now this sets the stage for part two because this is a tall order. How is Moses going to bring a million people out of bondage from a powerful king and nation. So Moses now raises four objections to God who answers each one and finally gives Moses his brother 
Aaron to speak for him. So now we look at the doubts, okay? First, Moses has two questions about himself and about God, to which God answers he will be with Moses, and then he reveals his covenant name. Then Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? What's his first objection? Well, think about it. For 40 years, he had fled from the then king of Egypt because he had murdered a soldier and he was afraid. 40 years, he's just hanging out in this backwater with his father-in-law, long removed from Egypt. And he feels his inadequacy to do what God has called him to do. And then he said, meaning God, because I will be with you, and this will be the sign I have sent you. When you bring forth the people out of Egypt, you all will serve God on this very mountain. Here is Yahweh's gracious answer. So, It's okay to ask questions because in his grace, we have the greatest promise that God gives his people all the time, every book of the Bible, to be with them. And furthermore, he gives a prophecy. It will be on this very mountain of Sinai that God gave to all the people that came out of Egypt by his leading, his instruction or Torah for living, living life as God planned it to be. Then Moses said to God, second objection, if I coming to the sons of Israel say to them all, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What will I say to them? Now, understand, names are very important to Middle Easterners. Names tell us everything we need to know about a person. But with this question, Moses is transferring his doubts in himself to his doubts as to who God is. And then God said to Moses, I will be who I will be. And he said, furthermore, thus will you say to the sons of Israel, I will be has sent me to you all. God also said to Moses, thus you will say to the people of Israel, the God of your fathers has sent me to you all. And this is his name forever. This is my memorial name, generation to generation, on and on and on. Now, The Hebrew puts his name in the future tense. It's not, I am being who I will be, but it is, I will be who I will be. But as I did a lot of research into this this week, I realized the Greek translations, translation singular, Septuagint, that the rabbis did in the second century before Christ used the present tense, and it was literally, I, I am being, being. So it's very accurate to say, as King James translated it, God's covenant name is I am. 
Further, we heard the verse in the gospel, and Jesus himself, now he did this in Aramaic, but the Holy Spirit inspired it, and he directly quoted the translation of the rabbis, God in the present tense. Now, um, when Kevin Doyle played the Way Cafe some 18 years ago, and he did it twice, uh, now, he he said, I have a good Irish name because of my dad, but my mother is Jewish. He was bilingual. He knew Hebrew because his mother was Jewish, Whenever he was in Israel, he was drafted into their air force, and he was always ready to fly fighter planes over in Israel. And afterwards, uh, I told him that, you know, I knew a little bit of Hebrew, and then he said, there's certain rabbis, and he heard this over in Israel, who take YHWH in English, and they take it as an acronym, And I immediately knew what he was talking about. And if it is an acronym, the way they uh, explain it and the way they understand God is he will be who he has been and who he will be. In other words, this name is eternal, unchanging, past, present, future, all time, forever, God is is. God is. God's covenant name is I am. And then Moses was sent by Abraham's covenant God. But if Moses had his way, he will not go and we'll come to this. And then God told Moses, tell my people that this is always my remembrance name. Remember me by this name, by my covenant name, I am. Now, he's already given two objections. Then Moses gives two more, and he says, I'm not a man of words. And finally, please send another. And Yahweh burns with anger against Moses, but graciously gives him his brother Aaron to speak for him. Then Moses said to Yahweh, chapter four now, please, my Lord, I'm not a man of words, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant because I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So this is now his third objection. He says, he's not good with words, and how could I ever convince Pharaoh, the king of Egypt? Then Yahweh said to him, who made man's mouth, or who makes people mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now you must go and I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you will speak. So the first part of God's answer and reply to Moses is just quite simply, I made you, therefore I know what you can do and what I can enable and empower you to do. And then he says he will instruct Moses. Now, This is the verb form of the noun used for Torah, which is what Yahweh will give his people through Moses 
after he delivers them from the bondage in Egypt. And then Moses gives one last try at it. He's scared. Then Moses says, please, my Lord, please, my Lord, um, thou must send another. In other words, not me, not me. And then we're told the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I fully know he speaks well. And behold, Moses, he is coming out to meet you. He's seen you. He's glad in his heart. And when you have spoken to him and have put words in his mouth, I will be with your mouth and his mouth and will instruct the both of you what you will do. So finally, Moses has gone just too far in his objections and his doubts. He is not trusting the God who has called him. And the result is God is getting angry with Moses because of his lack of of faith. The only thing God requires of us is faith in who he is and what he has told us and what he's able to do. And Moses couldn't do that. So even in his anger, God sent Aaron to help Moses in the early phases of his mission, God's mission he had given to Moses. And God will now graciously instruct both of them according to his covenant with Abraham and his covenant name, which is I am. And then this is a good place to end because this is powerful. He will speak for you to the people and he will be for you a mouth and you will be for him as God. And you will take this rod in your hand with which you will do signs. Here is the amazing grace of God because we know if we've read the rest of the story, it was actually God who did those 10 powerful signs through the staff that he gave to Moses. And by working through Moses, God eventually brought his people into the good land that he spoke about to Abraham. It's all about God. It's all about his grace. Will we have faith? Because God will always bring his people into a good place, wherever we may be now. We may already be in a good place. We may be in a horrible place but God will bring his people to a good place. So let's pull this all together this morning and, and, and not just take it for then, but apply it to ourselves as well. When his oppressed people call out to the true God, he hears them and calls Moses to obey him in faith and to be his instrument of his deliverance. But no one is adequate in himself or herself, to do the task that God has assigned. So people have this natural tendency to question God and doubt themselves. And both in grace and anger, God eventually convinces 
those he calls to trust him and his powerful presence so that he will work through them to accomplish his purposes. Or to put it succinctly, he is always everything. And because he is, we can trust God to fulfill his covenant in the Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, God can do anything through us, whether we think so or not. Just have faith because God's covenant name is I am and he never, never changes.